All right, Treya. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a speaker into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Good morning, church family. Good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 is where we'll be today. Um, good to see all of you here this morning. Um, while you're turning there, I'm not sure if we have any guests here this morning, uh, but if we do, welcome. We're glad and honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. If you don't know me or if you can't recognize me by the new glasses, my name is Evan Wilson, um, and I'm the worship pastor here. My wife, Hannah, and I have two boys. Um, my first son, Drew Blank there for a second, his name's Asa. He's five years old, uh, and Micah is two, and they could not be more opposite. Asa is, um, he's our five-year-old. He's thoughtful. He's analytical. He is uh, empathetic. I think he's pretty smart. I think he can do anything he puts his mind to, um, but he's just going to make sure he has it all figured out before he gives it a shot. Um, some of you in the room may be that way. I know I'm that way. Um, he's a pretty decent drummer if you've never seen the green drumsticks flying around here on Sunday mornings. Um, that would be him. Uh, and he's always thinking. Conversations with Asa are so fun because it's like he's trying to figure out the world just kind of in, in the best way that he, he knows how. He's just figuring all, everything out. Micah, on the other hand, uh, where do I begin? Um, just yesterday, uh, he was described as a bull in a china shop. Um, and if you know Micah, you know that to be true. He's the strongest two-year-old I know, and I think changing his diaper ought to be an Olympic sport. Um, the child literally does not feel any pain or fear whatsoever. And as a parent, you know that's not in a very enjoyable combination. No pain, no fear. Uh, makes for some fun times. The word no does not register for Micah Wilson. He just, that's just not in his vocabulary. And he really doesn't like hold on, wait just a minute either. That's not his favorite words either. His determination is absolutely unmatched. He is a force to be reckoned with. In fact, I want to show you a clip just to give you a little glimpse into our lives as the parents of Micah Wilson. Mrs. Park, I can totally handle anything this baby can dish out. Can't I, little boobie boy? Who can handle it? Who can handle it? Uh, Mrs. Park? Mrs. Park? Oh, well, she knows you're in good hands. Now who's ready for some neurological stimulation? <laughs> it's time for cognitive development. Who's the goo goo baby? Where's the hiding, huh? That was really weird. Wait right here. Hello, Mrs. Parr, this is Kari. I have a question about Jack-Jack. Can you call me? No! 
Jack Jack? Baby? Where are you? Where are you? Mrs. Parr, it's me. Jack Jack is fine, but weird things are happening and you need to tell me what to do, because I'm... How'd you get... We're going to calm things down a bit now and look at flashcards. Won't that be fun? Triangle. Good. House. Good. Campfire. So uh, I'm just kidding, uh, a little bit. Um, he hasn't quite figured out how to spontaneously combust yet, but we're working on it. Um, but before I lose every willing babysitter in the room, let me also tell you that Micah is also uh, extremely compassionate, extremely compassionate, um, loves animals. We just got a new kitten uh, named Minnie Mouse. Um, but he loves, that he loves that kitten and loves her so much that he strangles her uh, every time just trying to give her a cuddle. Um, loves that kitten. Uh, every time he sees someone crying, or most of the time, if it's in the house, sees somebody crying, he'll walk up and say, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, he's also super social. We have a swing set in the backyard, and he's always just trying to look and see how everybody else is is uh, handling the situation. We have a swing set, and if both of the boys are swinging at the same time, the whole time he's just going, you like it, Bubba? You like it, Bubba? And Ace is like, yes, which you're kind of making it weird. Um, when he goes to the kitchen to find a snack, and notice I said when, not if he goes to the kitchen, because he will go and find a snack. Uh, but when he goes to the kitchen to find a snack, he's always sure to grab enough for every person in the room, and he'll come back, handful of snacks, here you go, here you go, here you go. He's just doling them out, making sure we're fed. Uh, I guess God just knew what he was doing when he made him extra cute um, because he knew what we'd have to deal with when he's rampaging. Uh, so hopefully you will understand or you'll catch on to why we endearingly refer to him as our Sour Patch Kid because first they're sour, then they're sweet. That's right. First they're sour, then they're sweet. So what does this have to do with prayer? Um, Micah can be unpredictable at times. Um, he's got some high highs and he's got some low lows. Uh, but here's one thing, um, one thing's for sure about him. You never have to wonder what he's thinking. He doesn't leave you wondering. Um, you never have to wonder if he's just pretending to be sweet or if he's hiding something that's really bothering him. No, he's gonna let you know. He, need, he leaves nothing to the imagination. Uh, what you see is what you get with Micah Wilson. He lets you know exactly what's, he lets you know exactly what's on his mind. Um, now I realize I may be a little bit overdramatic about my son. I love, I love our little Sour Patch Kid. Um, but when I think about him, it makes me think of the book of Psalms. Um, many refer to the book of Psalms as the prayer book of the Bible. 
Tyler Staten uh, is a pastor, and um, he's written an incredible book on prayer. Highly recommend it. It's called uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Uh, And in this book, he says this about the Psalms. He says, the Psalms reveal a garden variety of motives. Some of the words in those prayers go directly against the teachings of Jesus and the character of God. Like what happened to loving enemies and a God who is rich in love and loyal in faithfulness. Meaning, some of the Psalms are technically heretical. So why would those prayers be included in the Bible? Tyler continues, he says, because they are honest. That's what makes these psalms exemplary. God is looking for relationship, not well-prepared speeches spoken from perfect motives. God listened to uh, overreacting rage, dramatic despair, and guileless joy, and he called David a man after his own heart. When it comes to prayer, God isn't grading essays. He's talking to children. I love that. So if God can delight in prayers as dysfunctional as the ones we find wedged into the middle of the Bible, he can handle yours too without you cleaning them up first. I love that. So what God invites us to do in the Psalms is to pray what I call sour patch prayers. Let me show you what I mean. Look with me at Psalm 22. And what I hope you see is a beautiful example of a sour patch prayer because first it's sour And then it's sweet. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Sounds pretty sour, right? I would say so. Psalm 22 is uh, what we refer to as um, a psalm of lament. Lament meaning a prayer expressing sorrow pain or confusion. It's a psalm of lament. What's interesting is in in the collection of psalms that we call the book of psalms, the psalms of lament are the most common. There are 59 psalms of lament, 41 psalms of praise, 17 hymns, 10 royal psalms, 9 psalms of wisdom, 8 psalms of thanksgiving, and last but not least, 6 psalms of trust. Um, so when we, when we look and we study these psalms of lament as a genre, what we see is they, they kind of show up in a, with a basic structure. And that basic structure is first is the lament or the complaint. Um, it can show up in various ways. It can be a complaint from the, from the writer of the psalm's perspective. It can be a complaint against God, a complaint against an enemy, uh, or even sometimes a complaint against himself. Um, there's, a, there's first a complaint. Next, there is a confession of trust, which also shows up in various forms, whether it be just a vo- voicing his assurance of being heard, um, a vow of praise, or thanksgiving to God for answering the prayer. 
And so you might be catching on to what I'm talking about when I say first they're sour and then they're sweet. Um, Oftentimes when we read the Psalms of Lament, we can start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, or at least I do, when I'm reading these Psalms and I think, who's this person think he is talking to God like that? Hasn't he read the book of Job? Doesn't he know what happens when you talk about God or say these types of things about God? Um, and like uh, Tyler Staten mentioned, there's plenty of things in the Psalms that uh, at surface, you know, just, just technically are untrue, heretical even, um, not true biblically speaking. Psalm 22 uh, includes numerous of these heretical statements that are rooted in true emotions. What's even more shocking about this, Psalm 22, you may remember, is the psalm that Jesus points our attention to when he's being crucified on the cross. As he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wants us to remember this this prayer. And so these are the psalms of lament, complete honesty with God. He already knows our hearts. He knows what's there. And it's healthy for us to know that we have a Father in heaven who wants to relate to us even with all of that mess going on. We all have it. One commentator of the Psalms of Lament said this, While the boldness and naked honesty of the psalmist may shock us, this attitude is nevertheless instructive for our own spiritual lives. We sometimes hold back too much from God conceal our true feelings in prayer, and create a false image of ourselves at the heavenly throne of grace. And then he asks this question, what would happen to us and to our relationship with God if we were truly honest with him and with ourselves? And so just want to put that question out to you today. What would happen? Have you noticed this sort of honesty Uh, And this, as he calls it, naked honesty, laying it all before God in the Psalms. We most definitely see it here in Psalm 22. And first, we see that David is honest about his inward emotions. Honest about his inward emotions. Look with me again in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy. In other words, yet you keep your distance. You're far away, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. What he's saying is, God, I've seen what you've done for other people. I've heard the stories of your faithfulness to our fathers, generation after generation, but I'm feeling really alone right here. I don't see that in my life. I've seen it there, but I don't feel it. I'm really trying to trust you, but it's really hard when all I experience is hurt and pain. Eugene Peterson um, wrote an amazing paraphrase of the Bible he calls the message. You may have heard of of it. And in this paraphrase, he paraphrases Psalm 22 in this way. He says, God, God, my God, why did you dump me miles from nowhere? Doubled up with pain, I call to God all the day long, no answer, nothing. 
I keep at it all night, tossing and turning, and you, are you indifferent above it all, leaning back on the cushions of Israel's praise? We know you were there for our parents. They cried for your help, and you gave it. They trusted and lived a good life. And here I am, a nothing, an earthworm, something to step on, to squash. I wonder if these prayers sound familiar to you, if you've ever prayed prayers, or if you've ever been afraid to pray prayers like this. Um, If not, if you've never prayed in this way, know that your heavenly Father invites you to pray in this way. You see it in his word. This is how Jesus himself prayed. You see it in the garden of Gethsemane. Honesty before God. You see it, like we said, on the cross, mentioning Psalm 22. God, why have you forsaken me? Honesty before God. We can justifiably assume that Jesus had a habit of praying in this way as he went throughout his ministry here on earth. And so, In Psalm 22, David is voiced his feeling of abandonment to God. His feelings of betrayal, like God doesn't love him and care for him like he cared for others. But let me be perfectly clear, this is not only untrue, but it is impossible. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And so church, God does not lie. He does not issue empty promises. What he has said, what he has promised, he will fulfill. Yet, amazingly, God invites us to be honest with him, even when from our perspective it seems like he's not acting in line with with his character. An impossibility, but yet God invites us to pray honestly to him. So you see here, David is honest about his inward emotions. Look with me in verse 7, where David is also honest about his outward experiences. His outward experiences. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. Hebrew says they curl their lips at me, which I think makes a little bit more sense. They wag their heads and then they mock him. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my father's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. This is a serious complaint. David is being mocked for his faith in God, yet he's feeling abandoned by the God that he's put his faith in. He's saying, God, I'm just, I'm just doing what you asked me to do. Why does it feel like you're not keeping up your end of the deal? And then in verse 9, he says, you took me from the womb and you made me trust you from birth. In other words, you got me into this mess. And yet I'm struggling to see any fruit of it. It says bold, bold honesty before the Lord. It says David, the man who God says he's a man after my own heart. David is honest about his outward experiences. And third, David is honest about his greatest fears. Look with me in verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. 
Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Or in other words, I'm completely washed out. Um, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. In other words, he's hamstrung. He's, he's completely without options. He sees no way out. You, you have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So David, he sees his enemies. He sees his obstacles as things that he cannot overcome. They're huge, huge issues in his life. And again, notice verse 15. You lay me in the dust. He says, God, I'm only here because I followed you. He feels helpless and hopeless, and he does not hesitate to voice his emotions, experiences, and fears to the Lord. But don't miss what he does next, because first they're sour, and then, then they're sweet. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so we see, even amidst chaos and confusion, David makes sure to remember the promises of God. He says, you have rescued me. In Hebrew it says, you have answered me, uh, which seems a little bit odd or out of place because in this situation, David's circumstances haven't changed. He hasn't seen an answer. He hasn't yet been rescued. A little weird, right? Well, in Hebrew, the, the verb answered is in what we call the, the excuse me, the perfect tense. Um, Hebrew uses the perfect tense to either describe a past event or something completed action, something that has already taken place, or an event in the future that is so sure to happen that it's as if it's already a done deal. We do this in English too, you just may not realize it. Um, think about like a basketball game, and in the last second, they swish a, a three-pointer, and then you'll hear somebody say, oh, they won, that, that's it, it's over. You know, they got it in the bag. The game's not over, right? But it, the outcome is so sure that we speak of it as if it's already, um, it's already done. That's the, that's the perfect tense that David is using here. You have rescued me. What he's expressing here is even though it's hard, and even though it doesn't really make sense to me right now, even though I have yet to see an answer, I'm choosing to believe that you will answer me because you promised you would not leave me. 
David remembered and chose to have confidence in God's word. Uh, We don't have time to explore them all, but just know that in these verses, there are several allusions to Numbers chapter 23, where God speaks through his prophet that no evil will befall Israel because they are his chosen people. That's the promise of God that David is remembering in in these verses. Um, David's saying, I may not see it all clearly here, uh, but I know what you've spoken, and I'm choosing to believe it. Um, I know that your word promises safety and peace to all those who put their faith in you, and as as, as hard as it is, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm going to believe. And so, in our Sour Patch prayers, we should always balance emotions, experiences, and fears with the truth of God's word. Next, we should remember Christ's sacrifice. Look with me in verse 22. This is, this is beautiful. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And all offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him but has heard when they cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And so it's clear that by verse 24, uh, David knows that despite how he feels, he has victory in God. You see the contrast between verse 1, feeling forsaken by God, and then knowing that God, in fact, does not despise his affliction. In verse 2, he felt like God did not answer him, yet in verse 24, he admits that he believes God hears and answers. That doesn't mean David's emotions went away. That doesn't mean that all was well. Um but that he chose to cling to God's truth rather than his own emotions. He knows that his perspective is limited. Verse 26 says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Uh, This is a beautiful statement. Has so many different layers of meaning for us today that I want want to show you. Uh, In David's context... He's speaking of his own situation. This is, this is a psalm of lament, but they divide them even more. This is what we call an individual psalm of lament. David's talking about his own situation. In David's context, uh, he knows that God will provide for his every need. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Later, in the context of worship in the synagogue and also in the early church, um, During worship, they would read this psalm as a liturgy. In other words, they would read through this psalm, probably in sort of a call and response manner, and they would also um, engage in worshipful acts. In this this case, as they're reading Psalm 22, when they get to this point, they would enjoy a communal meal. You even see, may your hearts live forever. That's That's like a toast at this communal meal. And what this communal meal would, would symbolize for the early church is though we are scorned and mocked by those outside of the church, just like David mentioned in verse 7, though we are scorned and mocked for our faith in Christ, we have fellowship together 
in the church. We understand each other. We are there for each other. And we have fellowship with God even greater. And so those are all great things for us to remember. But for us today, this is beautiful. For us today, our ultimate communal meal, the Lord's Supper, it symbolizes our fellowship with each other as well as our salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Um, John 6 says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Romans 10 says, no one who puts their trust in him will be put to shame. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Again, Romans 10, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have strife. You will have pain. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied in and only in Jesus Christ. So praise God for our salvation in and through Jesus that not only is the answer to our suffering, but also is that hope, that, that thing that gives us the endurance to walk through our suffering. And so as we pray, we need to remember God's promises Remember the eternal life we have in Christ alone. And lastly, remember our hope of heaven. Let's continue. Verse 27 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. At the end of the day, no matter what, we have a sure hope. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And what is this sure hope? What is this inheritance that we have, this hope of heaven? Revelation 21, you can't put it more beautifully. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things 
have passed away. I think I mentioned this uh, passage probably every single time I step on this platform because I just can't get over uh, the glory and the beauty um, and just the truth of the, the inheritance that we have in heaven. I just can't fathom it. I can't wrap my mind around it. Yet it's true. And this is why Paul can say, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, to put it lightly. So there's no better hope than the hope of heaven. We can only have through faith in Jesus Christ. God invites us to pray sour, sour patch prayers like the ones we see in the Psalms of Lament. And I don't know about you, but over the course of the last <clears throat> two months or so, uh, my thoughts and my beliefs about prayer have been challenged. And let me just tell you, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done limiting my God in the, in the things that I pray, in the way that I pray. I am done cleaning up my prayers before my Father in heaven who knows what's all there anyway. I'm done turning to God only in crisis and then just bearing those small burdens, what I see as small burdens that I shouldn't even bother God with, bearing those things on my own. I'm done with that. Um, my friends and I have been challenging each other to pray um, for each other. Pray more, but also pray for each other in all situations. Um, and this, this doesn't mean a, uh, yeah, I'll pray for you. This means a stop what you're doing, take a moment to get your mind off of yourself and pray for a need that you know this person has. Um, and let me just tell you, we have prayed for financial hardships, We've prayed for relational issues. We've prayed for physical ailments. And let me, just, let me just take a moment to testify to the goodness of our God we have seen in just the past few months. As we're praying for God to show up in a financial hardship, a random, unexpected, unordinary check shows up in the mail. It's from the insurance company. There's been an error an overpayment. This money is yours. Also, in a matter of weeks, a random, unordinary gift from a parent, financial gift from a parent, completely unexpected, unasked for even. And you're going to tell me that our God does not do miracles even today. As we're praying for an answer to years of heartbreaking loneliness, in a person's life, out of the blue, unexpected, a companion. <laughs> Just seems like a perfect fit, a companion. It was so clear that this was God's timing uh, in the um, starting of a new job, in meeting this person just at the right time, and it's like, oh, I see now. Thank you, God. Your timing is perfect. Um, another lonely person praying for community, finding that community in the church that they, that they have never experienced before. And we're praying that that continues. We even took something, um, something I think is so small as back pain. And let me just tell you, God is good. Small things. I realize 
had a conversation with a man uh, earlier today that for some, back pain is not a small thing. Uh, For some, back pain is a daily ailment. It's just one of those things that we rarely think to pray about. And we pray. God works miracles. Let me also tell you um, some other things that happened over the course of the last few months. Three of my closest friends and family have walked through and continue to walk through miscarriages. Cancer diagnoses. A father is still praying for his son to come back to church. A son that has shown no interest in church for years and years and years. We're still praying. Stress and anxiety at work that never seems to end. Um, Other relational issues and private issues that have yet to be resolved, those are still very real in all of our lives. And it's in these times, in all times, but especially in these times, we get the privilege to pray, God, where are you? I need you right now. And it feels like you're far away. It feels like You must not be listening because I keep praying this same prayer over and over and over. I feel like a broken record. Are you even there? Are you even listening? Can you hear my voice? I know that you do because you've promised to be near to the brokenhearted. Promised it. And so God, help me to believe it. Help me to be patient. Give me wisdom because I need it right now, more than anything, C.S. Lewis said, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Did you catch that? We must lay before our God, our Father who loves us, what is in us, not what we think ought to be in us. He knows. And so I pray that today, right now, in whatever way you need to, Just lay before your heavenly Father what is in you. Maybe it's praise, but maybe it's pain. He is there. He is for you. He is with you. And he invites you to be in that sort of honest relationship with him. And let me just also say, you don't need me, but I'm also here for you. Just like we do on a weekly basis. I'll be standing in that back lobby. If you need somebody to pray for you, I would be honored to have that privilege to pray with you about whatever, but you don't need me. Let's respond today um, however the Lord is leading you. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. We know just how hard it is to love those who don't love us back. We know just how hard it is to show mercy, to show kindness, Yet that's what you do. That's who you are. God, we we are sorry for those moments where we've tried to clean ourselves up before you and not relate to you as a heavenly father. God, I pray for each person in this room, whatever they are walking through, no matter how big or how small, that you you would give them, that you would make known to them the peace and the freedom that comes with praying these sour patch prayers. 
that they would find so much comfort and joy in knowing they have a heavenly Father that loves them no matter what. That even knowing all of our petty emotions, our wanderings, our failures, knowing that you still went to the cross. You still paid the ultimate price so that yes, we could be forgiven, but ultimately so that we can dwell with you for eternity, just to be with you. What a good God. What a good Father. We thank you, Lord. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.